0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Church of Blue Ridge. My name is Ted, I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to see you all. This morning, we're going to start off with, at least the sermon portion of worship, with a section from one of my favorite uh, prayers, if you will, from the Valley of Vision. You'll see it up on the screen. Uh, let's let me read this, but read it with me quietly. All the good things of life are less than nothing when compared with His love. And with one glimpse of your electing favor, all the treasure of a million worlds could not make me richer, happier, more contented. for his unsearchable riches are mine. One moment of communion with him, one view of his grace is indescribable, immeasurable. And we say amen to that. But why is it, That there are days when I forget those truths that are ours in Christ Jesus. Why are there days that you, I'm sure, also forget those very things? Today we're going to be talking about anxiety. And I know in my life I have struggled with anxiety both as a lost adult and, of course, as a Christian adult and in those moments as a believer in Christ i forget these truths i forget these treasures and you many of you are probably like me in that regard and in those moments it's like i'm an atheist i'm a functional atheist in those moments and so today as we come and continue uh, the passage in the sermon on the mount continuing this mini sermon series a theology of stuff we're going to be looking at anxiety but one thing I want to point our attention to when it comes to Jesus Christ, who, who in the Sermon on the Mount is our wise sage king, and, and really today he's functioning more like a coach, because nothing puts us on the sidelines of Christianity faster than anxiety. And how many of you played youth sports? Did you train and practice to be on the sidelines? No, we want to be in the game. And that's what Jesus is doing today. In fact, throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount, with each issue he's hitting and tackling, he's helping us to get back in the game of being his kingdom servants in this life for his glory. Human flourishing, as we've talked a lot about. But what I love about Jesus, and the writer of Hebrews reminds us of this, we have a great high priest who can sympathize and empathize with us because he was tempted in every way that we are tempted. Jesus Christ was was tempted in regard to anxiety and fear greater than any human that's ever walked the earth. And we see this here at the end of Luke. You'll see the uh, the passage on the screen. This is in the garden, uh, the night he would be uh, betrayed and arrested. Luke writes, And he withdrew from them, the disciples, about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. That is probably the most anxious moment anyone who's walked the face of the earth has had. He, he knew what was coming. There's the circumstance, right, that, that causes anxiety for us. But look at the example we have. We could just meditate on this passage and go home. Some of you are like, yeah, that would be great. No, we're not going to. But nonetheless, look at what he does. He, he faces the circumstance, and then he goes vertical, He prays, and in that prayer, he praises on his heart, Lord, take this from me, if there's any other way. But then right on the heels of that, he surrenders to the will of God. What a great example we have in Jesus. What a great Savior uh, we have. And we're going to see that even more today. You'll see the title slide up on the screen. Uh, As I mentioned, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, if you're joining us today for the first time. And we've entitled this uh, whole sermon series, Flourish. And these three weeks, last week, today, and next week, we, it's kind of a mini-series, a theology of stuff. Uh, last week, we, we looked at uh, the, the title of the sermon was, Who is Your Master? As that question was being asked of us in verses 19 through 24, who is our master? Cannot serve both God and money. And then Jesus goes right into what, what is the most, uh, uh, I guess, the largest danger that we face as Christians in regards to our stuff, in regards to our possessions, as I've mentioned, anxiety. And so you see the title of today's sermon, The Sin of Anxiety. And so we're going to look at our big idea here, and we're going to jump right into this great sermon, which uh, I've been praying for us this this week, because again, I know so many of us struggle with this very thing. And so look at the big idea here on the screen, this will kind of our, our sermon in a sentence, Today, our wise sage King Jesus will confront our sin of habitual anxiety and redirect us to kingdom-oriented living as his disciples. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the time of worship we've had this morning. Thank you for this beautiful time of year, uh, the beautiful blue skies, the the fall that 95% of us, we at least... Uh, said that a few weeks ago, 95% of us love fall more than any other season, and, and it's a beautiful time. And we live in a country where we can meet corporately without fear, out and open. Thank you for that. We know many of our brothers and sisters could not do that today. Uh, Lord, but thank you that we have this great opportunity. And this this time we've been in the Sermon on the Mount has been beneficial for me, I know, and many people here. Uh, Lord, continue to humble us with this teaching, continue to help us to uh, be honest with these questions that you pose week after week, so that, that we could live in that single-minded way that you have for us to live, not double-minded, not torn between the world and between pleasing you, but, but forsaking the world and living in such a way that we live for an audience of one. And Lord, as we talked about last week, money has such a hold. It's, it's the area that just really affects all of us in life, the fear that comes with possessions and money and need. And so, Lord, I know this sermon touches on in all of our lives here today. So speak to us and help free us from any enslavement we have to worry and fear and anxiety when it comes to our possessions or even other areas of our lives. We thank you for your word. We thank you that that your Holy Spirit is with us now. Teach us and help us to be different when we leave here today, especially anyone who doesn't know you, Father. Let them come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray, amen. I've told you guys uh, several times throughout the sermon series that Uh, The Sermon on the Mount works very similar to Paul's method for biblical habit change, which you see in Ephesians 4, taking off the old, putting on the new. And that's exactly how it's outlined once again uh, this week. Really, the sermon is in two parts, and the first part is take off. Second part is put on. Uh, So uh, anxiety is what we're looking at. So raise your hand this morning if you are breathing. All right, that's good. I asked that because had I asked, raise your hand if you've ever struggled with anxiety, same thing. To be human is to struggle with anxiety, to worry, and to be fearful about different things. Um, now, what we're, what we're looking at today is the habitual sin of anxiety. I, I do know that there is anxiety that comes involuntarily for people who have some sort of organic brain issue or sickness or disease, maybe cancer survivors, things like that. But for most of us, that's not where anxiety comes from. It comes from our heart. It is a spiritual problem that requires a spiritual solution, and Jesus has that for us this morning. Even the other day, Wednesday, or no, Thursday morning, I woke up at 2.30, and typically I fall right back to sleep. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but all of a sudden a thought entered my mind. I forgot to buy the turkeys for our family meal that's today. And you guys know how long it takes for turkeys to thaw out. And it was incredible, Coffee has nothing on anxiety when it comes to waking up. I mean, I, my heart's racing. I'm starting to get hot. And, and then I'm like, wait a minute, I'm preaching on this week. So I had to practice what I'm preaching and slowly calm myself back down, came up with a plan to get the t- And to my missional community group, I got the turkeys. They're thawed in the fridge, ready to go in the oven. So we're good. But I know you guys have experienced that as well. And the definition for anxiety that I'm working with today Uh, is living in fearful worry of something that may or may not happen or doesn't even exist, doesn't even exist. So if you haven't already, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to pick back up in verse 25. And and today we'll be working through verse 34, finishing out chapter 6 of this great passage. But we're just going to look at verse 25 right now. It's kind of the intro verse, the main idea verse for today's passage. We'll make a few observations, and then we will continue. So read with me verse 625. Matthew writes, Therefore I tell you, of course Jesus is speaking, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? So, few observations here. Of course, you know when you see the word therefore, you've got to look back to what preceded it. And that connects right to what, where Jesus left off with our sermon last week. And you can just look up at verse 24, that last clause, you cannot serve God and money. Again, who is your master? And right from that, he goes into really what, is one of the clearest signs that money might be your master, at least occasionally, if you struggle with money or possession-based anxiety. It's kind of the, the continuation here. So he says, therefore I tell you, and then we see the first of three present imperative commands. I've told you before, this is the strongest way to make a command in the old language. And he's saying, do not be anxious about your life. That's how we know anxiety. The anxiety that Jesus is talking about is a sin. Because if it's not a sin, he wouldn't have just given a command not to do it. So it has to be a sin. Otherwise, Jesus is wrong. And we know Jesus is never wrong because he's God. So he says, therefore, do not be anxious about your life. And he, he presents this in a general category. So any area of your life, anything you can apply today's passage to, do not be anxious about your life. But he's now going to uh, go down from the 30,000 foot and zoom in to a specific area. And that's anxiety that comes from possessions, comes from wealth, comes from money. So that's the, the specific topic we'll be looking at. And he gives us three questions, three categories that he carries through the entire passage. Uh, we're introduced to these here. What you will eat, what you will drink, and what you will put on your body. So very simply, our sustenance, the food, drink, and then clothing. And I thought it very fascinating this week as I thought about modern advertising. And I realized that in 2,000 years, not much has changed. I realized as I was thinking about it this week that every single commercial advertisement that we see that we're bombarded with can fit into one of three categories what we put in our body, what we put on our body, or what we put our bodies inside of. Everyone. Maybe you can think of one that's not, but I couldn't this week. And not much has changed when it comes to what we worry about, what we're so busy making sure that we can secure, not just today, but into the, into the future. And so Jesus hits us here right where we live. And the last thing I'm gonna look at in this introductory verse is look at the final sentence. This is huge. This is an incredible theological statement that Jesus makes. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? It's a rhetorical question. But it tells us something about the meaning of life. When I was growing up in the 80s, there was so much talk about the search for the meaning of life. Jesus tells us right here the meaning of life. Because what is more than food? What is more than clothing? We've already been taught it for several weeks now. The kingdom of God and the glory of God is the purpose of life. It's an incredible statement he's telling us. In fact, I I have a slide here. This is just my own definition of the meaning of life uh, from from this context here. The, the, The meaning of life is simple. It's the expansion of God's kingdom by the Father with his obedient church, empowered by the Holy Spirit through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I could have added for his glory in there as well. That's why there's a tomorrow. There is a tomorrow because God is continuing to fulfill his mission to redeem his lost children. And there will always be a tomorrow until his mission is through. And as the church, he is continually inviting us to join him on his mission. And it's things that Jesus is addressing throughout this sermon, including anxiety today, that that get us distracted from his mission. Like I said, get us onto the sidelines. This is the meaning of life. What a great father we have. All right, let's finish reading this first section. We're going to read now verses 26 through verse 30. And we're going to see two examples that Jesus uses, two two metaphors to help us understand what he's saying and and why anxiety is such a problem for us uh, as his children. Picking Picking back up in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious humans, beings, rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. These two uh, illustrations that he uses have a a similar structure as you see. Jesus uses a metaphor from creation, something that that we're observing. He then makes his point, his main teaching point, and then he gives us a little bit of a mild rebuke to expose the nature of our heart. And you can ima- if you can imagine, being in the hillside of Capernaum there, maybe close to the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is teaching, and he points the attention of the group. Look at the birds. You could just almost imagine them flying over a flock of birds. And a little bit later, look at the, the lilies over here, this patch of lilies. What a great teacher he is. And look at, by the way, do we have any bird watchers in here? Anyone like watching? You can admit it. It's cool. It's cool for guys, too. All right. Well, you're actually obeying another command. This is another imperative command. Look at the birds. So everyone should be a bird watcher, right? Look at the birds. And, and so you see here, very, very easy to understand. Uh, they don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. That's referring to human behavior. They don't go to all the trouble that we go to to get food, and yet God feeds them every day. Every day. Now. When I think of a bird, I think of a bird eating birdseed. I don't want to think that. I want to think of a hawk coming down and catching one of the white squirrels in my neighborhood. But my my brain just doesn't go there. But whether it's a hawk or a sparrow, God takes care of every bird. And then He makes His point: If I take care of the birds, if I feed them, aren't I not going to feed you, friends? We are not animals. We are not mammals. You ever wonder why Animal Planet shows more shows about humans than animals? Because in their philosophy, they think we're just brain fizz that happen to be, we're here by accident and we're just part of the animal kingdom. But we as Christians know that is not true. We have been made in the image of God. We are so much higher than the animal kingdom and all of creation. So if God takes care of that, which is so small, isn't he going to feed his children, especially those of us who have been redeemed, those of us who have been saved? What an incredible and powerful truth he's giving us. And then we see this mild rebuke here. Which of you, so think of us here in the room, which of you through all your anxiety have ever added one day or one hour to the course of your life? The language here is talking about measurement, so just imagine every, every year you're running a lap, and then when you pass your birthday, it's another, it's the marking post in a sense. Which of you can add any length to the course of your life? What has all of our worry and anxiety about tomorrow really given us? Anyone ever received anything positive through all that worry? Have we ever changed any future events? Nothing. It's a little bit of a rebuke here from our Lord. And then he goes on to the clothing, you can almost imagine he has them looking up. Now he has them looking down to the ground. Look at the lilies. They are so beautiful. Even Solomon. It's very interesting he mentioned Solomon here, by the way. But even him with all his wonderful clothing and riches didn't look so beautiful as the flowers. And if God takes the time to make beautiful uh, flowers so beautiful, so incredible, so pretty, and yet they might die tomorrow. They might be cut over cut by my lawnmower or with his illustration, thrown into the fire. Isn't he gonna take care of us, his children, who are so much more important and have so much more value and worth? Isn't he gonna clothe us as well? And then you see here, uh, he kind of gets to the heart of the matter. Right at the end of verse 30 there, there's kind of the next mild rebuke. "O you of little faith. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we've talked about how Jesus is continually getting us to the heart level, that's the heart issue right there. Anxiety is a symptom. It's bad fruit. The root issue is our lack of faith. And the root issue is my lack of faith. This is, again, where I struggle. We, we all struggle with faith. And that's where Jesus is coming to teach us and expose to us what's happening in our hearts. Because when we struggle with faith, we're, we're living a double life. And we've talked a lot about the entire sermon, Jesus is chasing after singularity, wholeness, that we would be whole and we're not whole when we're so worried about the things on the horizontal plane and neglecting the vertical, the truth, the reality. We know from Hebrews, you can't please God without faith. And when we're worrying, when we're anxious, it's the opposite of faith. So thank you, Lord, for getting to my heart issue. Thank you, Lord, for getting to my problem right where I live, right at the heart. A few application points from this first section before we move on to the solution, to the put on. Listen to this quote from Martin Luther. We we looked at one of his last week. He just has a way with words, like Charles Spurgeon. Martin Luther says, in commenting on this passage, he says, you see, he is making the birds our schoolmaster and teacher's. It is a great and abiding disgrace to us that in the gospel a helpless sparrow should become a theologian and a preacher to the wisest of men. God is so amazing in pointing out with so simple, such simple things, what's really going on in my heart and in your heart. And the deep irony of human existence is for those who chase after this world's treasures without God, apart from God, and they actually get it, are they happy? No. How many people have we seen outside of the church commit suicide or do crazy things or life's just implode and are destructive? Even read Ecclesiastes, which I believe is written by Solomon kind of at the end. And, and you just see there, he, he just, the guy had it all. And did he have peace from it? No. It's the irony of it all. When we're chasing after the world thing, the world's things, the last thing we're going to have is peace only in Christ's do we have peace? And again, that's so much of where we've been going with the sermon. Another thing to think about, too, with anxiety, and this has helped me in my struggle, I use this when I counsel folks, is anxiety and even depression, it's like a time machine, an emotional time machine. Depression, which we're not looking at today, but I'm really, again, very simplistic, there's much, too, much more to them than this, but very simplistically, depression, I go into the past, Get in my time machine, I go to the past, and it's usually based on some kind of regret. But anxiety, what we're looking at today, I, I go into the future. I get on my time machine, and I go into the future and obsess about something, as I said earlier, that may or may not even happen or exist. And the problem with it is, when, when I go into the future, guess who's not with me? God. That's why it's so lonely. That's why it's so horrible. He's back in the present saying, Ted, get back here. And trust me today, let me take care of the future. And be sought. he's sovereign over the past. God is sovereign over those things. And, and therefore, here's a verse that I use in my life. I pray this. I use it when I've counseled folks. It comes from Psalm 119. Your, la- your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He gives us his word just to light up what we can see here, the next step or two but not a spotlight for the future as much as i want one sometimes and as much as you do as well he wants us to not get in that time machine but trust him today one day at a time walking with him another application uh, from this passage we saw the rebuke about our faith and i was reminded about uh, that that phrase faith like a child faith like a child that that phrase Word for word is not in the scriptures, or if it is, I haven't found it yet, but it comes from Matthew 18, 2 through 4. I told you about Matthew 18, incredible chapter, incredible chapter, and right at the beginning, uh, his disciples asked that question, which I'm sure I would have asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And hopefully he was going to say my name, and he takes a child on his knee and says the kid, and there's that idea of faith like a child. Now, when I grew up in the 80s, uh, you know... Uh, and by the way, I just watched a documentary on Netflix, and it was amazing how much was happening during my childhood, late 70s, early 80s, like horrible. It was just a horrible time for our country. The 70s were like the most depressing time, uh, coming out of Vietnam, Watergate, uh, Ford and, and, and Carter really didn't do much as president. It was just depressing. It was, we were a depressed nation. And some of you might remember, you were older than me at that time, and you had the Cold War, uh, you just Even the stock market crashed like in 1989 when I was in ninth grade. Did I care about any of that? No, man, I had fun. The 80s and the 70s were awesome. Me and my friends jumped everything with a bike. We had a great time. Rope swings. I mean, never worried about anything. I never once worried about food. And I know that not everyone's childhood was like that. I had a first world childhood, no doubt. But never worried about food. Never worried about clothing. Never worried about a home. Carefree, having a blast. And this is a third-world country, and Jesus is saying this back then. That's what he wants us to have. He wants us as adults to act like we did as children in our parents' homes because we have a father. We're not orphans anymore, and we need to start living like children who have that kind of faith. Look at these uh, passages up on the screen, two really important ones when it comes to faith. We see a definition in Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is all about the future. Anxiety is also all about the future. Obviously, we know which we want to put on and which we want to take off. Again, he says in 2 Corinthians, or Paul says here, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And that's so important because when I'm walking by sight is when I'm anxious, trying to see, and I'm stressing out over what, uh, what I don't see. God wants us to just trust him and look to him like Christ did in the garden. The final application here in the first part is I want to let you know that, uh, Earlier, really I want to ask you, raise your hand if you are an expert at biblical meditation. And by the way, this is, biblical meditation is different than Eastern. Eastern meditation, the idea is empty your mind. That's not biblical. Biblical is, is commanding us to fill our minds. But I want you all to raise your hands because you are an expert at biblical meditation. No one's raising their hand. You just don't know it, all right? That's what anxiety is. Anxiety is meditation, and we're all experts at it. We meditate so perfectly on whatever it is that we're so afraid of happening And all God, Jesus is teaching us here, he's God, is teaching us is to change the focus of our meditation from whatever it is down here to him, to him. We're meditation experts. Turn with me really quickly to Philippians chapter four. This is where Paul has his takeoff and put on for anxiety. Philippians chapter four. When I realized this, it helped me so much in my struggles. When I realized that I already was an expert at meditation. I just had the wrong focus. I had the wrong thing that I was looking at. And so this is the passage that we go to in counseling when it comes to anxiety, when it comes to worry. And you see in verse six there, you know this passage. Do not be anxious about anything. Again, coming from the Sermon on the Mount, Paul probably has that teaching in his mind, and he's now commanding. Again, another imperative command, do not be anxious about anything. But I've told you before with this passage, I think I got the numbering wrong. Verse six should have started uh, five words before. Look at the end of verse five. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. So there's the command. And look at the redirection here, the takeoff and the put on that Paul gives us. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. From the horizontal to the vertical. Paul gives us the same thing here. With this great redirection, and essentially, he's teaching us change the focus of your meditation to the Lord who is at hand. And then we get this promise in verse seven: and the peace of God will surpass all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Even verse eight gives you uh, uh, these great attributes of Jesus to help us focus on something else, focus on what we're meant to focus on with our thoughts. So. Bookmark that, circle that, make a note, just know when you're struggling, Philippians 4 is a great passage to go to. All right, let's continue on. We've, we've seen the takeoff. Now quickly, we're going to see the put on, and this will be the rest of the passage. You'll see the, uh, the next point slide, seek first the kingdom of God. That's the solution. That's the solution that he gives us as we're taking off the anxiety. It's the solution he gives us, so we're going to see what that means here. Let's continue reading at verse 31. And by the way, turn back to Matthew 6 if you haven't already. Sometimes I forget to bring folks back with me to the primary passage. But picking up in 6.31, Jesus says, "'Therefore do not be anxious, saying, "'What shall we eat, what shall we drink, "'or what shall we wear? "'For the Gentiles seek after all these things, "'and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. "'But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, "'and all these things will be added to you. "'Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow.' for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. So we see the therefore that tells us it's a new section. He repeats the commandment from verse 25. So this is now twice Jesus repeats this command. In fact, you'll see it again in verse 34. For a third time, he repeats this command. So this topic must be very important to God uh, when it comes to our well-being, our spiritual health you'll see here he repeats those three questions uh, telling us this is the conclusion and then in verse 32 he kind of gives us another mild rebuke uh, what he says in verse 32 would have evoked great emotion from a Jew who is in the audience do you think Jews love to be compared with Gentiles not at all not one bit it's the second time he's done that in chapter six he did it back in verse 6 8 with the Lord's Prayer do you not or, or six, seven. Do not pray like the Gentiles. And and when he says that, he's not making an ethnic slam here. He's not because we're Gentiles, right? He's not slamming Gentiles. What he's saying is, don't be like those who are outside of the kingdom of God. Don't be like outsiders. And then really quickly, he tells us this great theological truth again: Your Father, your heavenly Father, knows your needs. God is sovereign over the care of his children. And so another illustration that helps me understand what Jesus is doing here is the idea of being in the family and being outside of the family. I've adopted you. You are my child. Don't be like the orphans who are outside the kingdom. That's what he's saying here when he, when he mentions the Gentiles who are, who are seeking after. Let's not be like the world. Let's not act like atheists who are outside who don't have a heavenly father. We've been adopted. And you know those great passages that we turn you to all the time, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Uh, you can you can see it there. Galatians 4. Just that idea, that theology that we've been chosen and we've been adopted into the household of God. We are his children, and he will care for us. He will care so well uh, for everything that we need. And so we, we continue on here, and then verse 33, you see the put-on. So verse 33 is the put-on. You see the word but there. That's going all the way back to 31. So he says, do not be anxious, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first there is not chronological. It's talking about priority, okay? So it's not like, okay, I sought first the kingdom of God this morning. Now I can get back to my life. No, that's not the point of it. The idea that is that every area of my life the priority must be the kingdom of God. So I need to ask myself, in my marriage, what does it look like that my priority is the kingdom and the righteousness of God? In my parenting, what does that look like? In my, my work, where I work, the job God's given me, what does that look like? Every area of my life, God's kingdom and his righteousness must be the priority. And this is a verse in the, in the context of the whole Sermon on the Mount that you want to circle and highlight because... We have been chasing after these two theological um, uh, subjects throughout the Sermon on the Mount, the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. And here, for the first time, and I think the only time, if I'm not mistaken, he has them in one sentence. These two beautiful twin realities of what it means to be a Christian. That God's kingdom is my priority uh, and his righteousness. So important for us to, to understand that and to see it. And uh, by the way, the righteousness there, that takes us back to 520. That's the greater righteousness. Remember, we've been talking about that every week. Uh, The Pharisees had the false righteousness, skin deep religion. And what God, what Jesus wants to do is help us to pursue and chase after the greater righteousness that begins in my heart and works its way outward. That's the righteousness of God, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then we see the promise, and all these things will be added to you. Now, is this a mechanical verse? Like, okay, if I seek the kingdom, then God will give me everything. No, that's not what he's teaching. Uh, The way I think of this is like the military. When I went to the military after high school, I didn't have to worry for four years. I didn't have to worry about food. I didn't have to worry about clothes. I didn't have to worry about health insurance. I didn't have to worry about shelter. I was free from all of that so that I could do my job in the Coast Guard. And it was true. I never worried about that because I remember when I was about to get out, I started to worry about all that stuff. But I was free to do my job. And that's what God's saying here. Don't worry about your needs. I got that. You focus on the mission. You focus on the kingdom mission. What what I have for you in joining me, the invitation to join me in the redemption of my children and the expansion of my kingdom on earth. That's the invitation he's given us. And there's so much more to it that we'll incorporate in in the weeks to come. But what a beautiful, beautiful thing for us to see there. And then finally, you'll see at 634, it's almost redundant, but that what that is is a summary of all of chapter 6. He says it again for the third time. And the question should come into your mind, as I've already mentioned, why three times that, that anxiety as a sin is so important to God that Jesus would mention it three times and 10 verses should get our attention. And there's several reasons for this. Uh, And I've already mentioned them really over and over, That just the idea that this among all the sins in life gets us to the sidelines because we get so split at the core of who we are that we cannot, cannot glorify God. We need to be single and wholehearted and anxiety is the opposite of that. And as I mentioned, we become like functional atheists. And I love what he says about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be take care of itself. Uh, I grew up, my parents went to Alcoholics Anonymous as a kid, and I definitely have issues with some of their theology and whatever, but one of the phrases I remember that they use and they tell each other as like a greeting is, one day at a time. They had bumper stickers and everything, one day at a time. And this comes from this passage. It's so important, one day at a time. That's all we should focus on. It doesn't mean we don't plan for the future or save. We see that commended elsewhere in Scripture. But when it comes to the things that are beyond our control one day at a time. Uh, Very important for us too. And then one last thing I want to say before we get to a few application points is this. Fear is an emotion. Fear in and of itself is not necessarily a sin. It's an emotional response we were created with, and it's good because it it kept me from doing a lot of stupid things as a a teenager, right? Maybe you as well. It protects us. It's not a bad thing. But where we go from there is the question because there's only two paths for the Christian, faith or habitual anxiety. And so really important to point that out. All right, a few application points, and then we'll be finished. By the way, here's a great quote from Jonathan Pennington in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount that uh, sums this all up for us. He says, "'Taken together, then, the exhortation of 633 and 34 "'is a broad vision or marching orders "'for the Christian way of being in the world. "'Being one who is dedicated to God's coming reign,' And the kind of Christ-centered righteous behavior that marks the kingdom. So important. And so as far as application, again, just, just to bring back to habit. It's so important that you understand anxiety, re- responding with anxiety is a habit. And that's good news because God has given us the system of habit. Every habit can be started or stopped within 30 days. When I say that, I should say every good habit or every bad habit can be started or stopped within 30 to 40 days, and I have done this. Again, I'm someone who really was a worrywart coming into the church, so I have done this. I gotta fight for it still each day, that hope of God, but 30 to 40 days, uh, you can change your habit. Uh, The helmet of salvation is the part of God's uh, armor that relates with this. Again, that idea, that vertical orientation, uh, so important. But I want to show you a nugget of a passage real quick. Look at this passage on the screen. This is one of the, the passages that I draw so much strength from, from when it comes to anxiety. And this is, again, Jesus Christ. We looked at him uh, in the garden a little bit earlier. He was still in the upper room. And this is the foot-washing passage. But notice, notice the pieces in this passage and how they relate to, to potential anxiety. It's verse 2. During supper, When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So there's the circumstance. There's that horizontal circumstance that should evoke great fear. Verse 3. Again, Jesus, of course, knows everything, so he knows what's coming. Verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and and that he had come from God, was going back to God. There's that vertical orientation. So he sees the, the horizontal circumstance Next response, vertical orientation. Knowing where he had come from, knowing the sovereignty of his father, and knowing where he was going back to. And then we see the action of obedience. He rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garment, and he took a towel, tied it around his waist, and of course proceeded to wash the feet of the disciples, even Judas's feet. So what a great example of this vertical orientation we have from Jesus Christ. The second thing I wanna show you is Another piece of the armor of God, the sword of the Spirit. Here are some other passages. I I encourage you to write these down. These are tested and proven passages that I couldn't find a way to fit in today's sermon. I already had too many. But these are some other ones of my favorite that I have used through the years, especially through some times of ministry brokenness that that Jennifer and I have experienced to really help us to fight for truth when we could be anxious. So great ones there to look at. You may recognize some of those as well, but I encourage you to write some of those down. Another thing I want to point out to you is as members of this church, you have a role to play when it comes to your brothers and sisters. You have an opportunity to be identity reminders. This is why we love community here at the Church of Blue Ridge. This is why missional community groups are so important to us because church really happens as we're living life together in smaller groups. So as you're engaging with Uh, your cell groups, or your missional community group, and you notice that a brother or a sister is struggling with fear or anxiety or depression, take it upon yourselves to encourage them, to remind them of who they are, who we are in Christ, where our citizenship really lies, and use some of the tools and passages from that. And you'll see here this proverb that really directs us to do that. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. At the end of the day, both anxiety and depression have something in common, a lack of hope. A lack of hope. And and it's our job as members to encourage our brothers and sisters to encourage them with the hope that is ours in Christ. And then one last, well, actually, I have a couple more things, but but this is kind of a disclaimer here. I I wanna make sure, like, if you're taking anxiety medication as a believer, don't stop taking it, okay? Pastor Ted did not say that medication is bad. I say that because I counseled a guy one time, and I told him that. Well, he thought he was gonna make me happy by cold-turkeying his anxiety medication. And when he told me that, I was like, you idiot. Sure enough, he crashed so hard. Listen, if you're on it, keep taking it, but work on the spiritual part of it and have those conversations with a medical doctor, okay? If you, if you ever come to the point where maybe you wanna get off of those, go see your doctor, Let he or her work that out with you and give you wisdom. I am not a doctor. I don't even go there. I'm a spiritual uh, doctor, I guess, in some ways. So uh, keep taking it. No cold turkey. It's really important that I say that when dealing with this passage in our context. Uh, So there it is. There's this incredible teaching. One last visualization I want to leave you with. Question I want to ask you as we leave here today. Are you Martha or are you... Mary, right? Remember uh, the question I asked last week? If you've been looking for your heart lately, you'll find it at the feet of whatever, whatever you treasure most. One of those passages I threw up on that slide comes from Luke 10. You'll see part of it here on the screen and, and, and we'll, we'll end with this today. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So I ask you, are you Martha or are you Mary or as me in any given day or week I can be both. But God is calling us to be like Mary. She had the better example and the better better portion. Now I did skip one slide here and I just realized you know what I need to come back to this. So put up the additional application slide real quick. This is important. I don't want to cut this short. They go for like 3 or 4 hours in Russia from what I heard, so we're good. But here's a few things that misunderstandings come from this passage, and I think it's wise. John Stott actually um, pointed these out, and I think they were good to share. First one is this. Believers are not exempt from earning their own living, okay? Even the birds work to get their food. God's given us the capability to get the food that we need. So don't think for a moment uh, that this justifies your sloth or laziness. And, and, of course, you see the Second Thessalonians passage, you don't work, you don't eat. So that's very important. Second, believers are not exempt from the responsibility to others. There is a problem of evil philosophy discussion that comes out of this passage. Uh, we don't have time for it, but the idea there is hey, is this true? Because aren't there Christians that are starving somewhere or, or naked? Probably. But that's not an argument to say that scripture is wrong, okay? You show me a Christian somewhere in the world that's starving or naked. Let's go see what's going on in that situation because sometimes God does uh, do that. We see the prophets mentioned in, in Hebrews 11 that they ran around hungry and starving and naked and yet they were uh, you know, meteors against the sky. Um, but nonetheless, we are responsible. So we know there are people who don't have enough food to eat. We need to take care of it. We need to do something about it. And you know here at the Church of Blue Ridge, we take food seriously. We love to have it on Sunday mornings, but we also have the Ridge Relief Food Ministry right here in Blue Ridge that now feeds Blue Ridge High families, Blue Ridge Middle, and Skyland Elementary. So we will be having a food drive coming up, and we have a responsibility to help others, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Also, we have a partnership with an international ministry that you'll hear more about from Robert, Food for the Hungry, uh, that we're entering into with our sister churches that will give us the opportunity to adopt children, most likely in Peru, uh, to, to feed them, to provide a, a small amount of money each month to feed them and their family. And then we'll even go on mission trips in the future, and you will get a chance to meet uh, those families that you've been helping out. So we do have a responsibility to others. And then finally, believers are prohibited from anxiety, not exempt from experiencing trouble, okay? God's calling us away from anxiety, but he's not promising that we won't have trouble, We'll see that at the very end of the sermon. The storm comes upon the righteous and the unrighteous. All right. So, so trouble is part of life. He just wants us to, to develop a habit of, of responding in faith when trouble comes, not, not anxiety. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and invite Micah to come back up as we're going to continue worshiping in our final song. Uh, but let us go to the Lord in prayer. And then one final reminder, Tuesday is... Election Day, get out and vote. I'm not or ever going to tell you from the pulpit who to vote for. Uh, probably not in, in private. I'm Maybe in private. I'll tell you who I might vote for. But, but the point is, vote. It's very important. It's a wonderful privilege that we have that most of the world does not have. We may not have it one day in the future. Who knows? But uh, definitely be responsible and vote this Tuesday if you haven't voted already. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this great teaching Oh, Lord God, so much could have been said, we just don't have the time, but we pray, Lord, as, as you're working in our hearts, let today's passage, let the word of God and the power of your Holy Spirit help each and every one of us wherever we're at to develop more so the habit of faith when crisis comes or when we're in the midst of something that just won't go away teach us, Lord God, to respond in faith, to respond vertically. Thank you for the incredible examples from our Savior when he was on earth being tempted beyond any other way that we're tempted. And yet he always responded with vertical orientation and faith in you, oh Father. Help us to learn to do the same. And Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, I'm sure there is. They got bigger problems than anxiety. They're hellbound. Their hearts are dead, like mine once was. Open their eyes to the truth of your gospel. Bring repentance and faith through the power of your Holy Spirit to lead them from death to life. Again, we thank you for this time. Be with us now as we continue to worship you and as we go about our way today. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.